Good morning, Gospel Life. This is Pastor Eric coming to you live from my office in beautiful Genoa, Illinois on this snowy Sunday morning where it is white and it is holy and it is pure. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm glad you're here with me in this time. Soon, soon, soon we will be in person together. So it's just awesome to be here regardless. And we've never stopped being the church. Just want to always reinforce that. And so there's still always opportunities for us to get together throughout the week. Monday is ladies night. Wednesday is family night. And Thursday is men's group. And throughout all of those uh, nights, they're both via Zoom or in person. You can check our website for details or just continue to follow Facebook Live. Good morning, Gabriella. Good morning to all of those who are here and are coming. And good morning to those who will hear this later on at a different day, at a different time. Who knows? Who knows? When these go out to the airwaves, I have no idea how God is going to use these, but I know that God's going to use these just the same as I know that Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. And so today we continue in Luke. We're finishing up what is the infancy narrative or what they call the infancy narrative, the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 3 through chapter 4, what we're going to go through and start next week is about preparation for the ministry of Jesus. So we've got the birth of Jesus to the preparation of the ministry, then the start of the ministry, but we might not get that far in Luke before we switch gears a little bit and head in a different direction. And so <clears throat> we talk a lot about unity <laughs> and we talk maybe you've heard it the unity of the faith us being brothers and sisters in the lord us uh you know uh god gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the teachers for the building up the saints for the uh, work of ministry until we uh, reach unity of <laughs> the sorry i'm looking at the, the the screen here i'm just having fun with this today uh unity of the faith in uh, you know who we are because we know that jesus is lord and that he is the way the truth and the life and he is the reason for the church in the first place so awesome to see that that we have that unity of the faith but um i'm gonna pray and then i want to talk about unity of all creation just a little bit too and then to see again how Jesus is the only way to our Father and going back to our Father. And so the sermon today is Our Father in Heaven, and it's something that we would all do well to remember on any given day, any given moment, especially in these uncertain times, to have certainty of the real meaning for life and why we're here. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you first and foremost for saving us, for calling us to a new life, a new hope, a new purpose. And just uh, as you continue to change us, the death of the self and death of sin, and then just the newness of life that we get to experience. And Lord, I praise you for the church, and I just pray you for the people of the church and the encouragement that we give one another and the building up of one another. It is unfortunate, Lord, to see sometimes that there is that tearing down, but Lord, you are the Lord of reconciliation, and you have called us to reconciliation. So it's not surprising that there's going to be sin issues at hand that would need to be reconciled. But Lord, have mercy on us. We are but weak 
individuals that are bent on self and so in all of this lord let us see your glory this morning let us see how you have designed life as well as what our relationship to you would look like healthily but praise you lord that this has all been done through jesus so that we may not be condemned and may feel that we are short but may we be convicted and may we be blessed by your grace, Lord, to be able to walk in your ways and your statutes. So, Lord, you turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Use this time well. And, Lord, we love you and will continue to praise you in all eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I saw uh, Frank and Debbie had a little uh, blue light special from Kmart. So, whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm going to give you a little blue light special. Uh, we, I'm going to talk about two different texts. These are very simple, but I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 real quick. And just talk briefly about this unity of all creation as this flows into what we're talking about in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52, and Jesus being the only way to the Father. And so in all of this, you know, sermons are created for worship for praising the Lord, for understanding, for growth. And ultimately, every human being on this planet needs to wrestle with the question of who is Jesus? And then what do you think of Jesus's authority? Will you respond or reject his claims? You know, the C.S. Lewis, if you've ever uh, read some of his things, he's a great apologist, uh, was an atheist turned Christian, and he gives us three options. You can look at Jesus as a liar, you can look at Jesus as a lunatic, or you can look at Jesus as Lord. But really, the ultimate question is, is Jesus the Son of God or not? And so when we think about that, go back to Genesis, and chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and just talk about this unity of creation, and then to see very quickly here as it says, then God said, so God says this, let us, okay, we've got a plural there, make man in our, another plural, image after our likeness. And so, and then he gives us uh, what he's, what our purpose is. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And it goes on, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we get far away from that because we take it down many many notches we put it in our little spheres of influence and our things but this was god's initial overarching plan for creation and i want you to see that god lived in community because this is this genesis 1 26 to 28 verse 27 is a song in itself but 26 to 28 really tells us first and foremost about the trinity about god uh, not living alone and we know this and especially as we're, we're struggling maybe there's some restlessness of, of not meeting which is why I really feel like we need to 
get back to that here shortly um <clears throat> that we were made for fellowship and that god was always living in fellowship with one another so let us make man in our image after our likeness now just to translate that a little further and why i even brought this up in the first place is that we see this in this passage that's coming up the unity as well as the disjunctness of, of of being a human and we forget this sometimes that this our father he is the god of the jews just the same as he is the god of the gentiles and he is god over everyone now when we talk specifically about being children of god um, we just need to be really careful because god certainly has adopted sons and daughters to be part of his kingdom uh, and we want to be very specific in the fact that there are those children of God that are called to his family. In fact, we as the church are the family of God and children. And, and again, we're talking about families here in a little bit today. But ultimately, that this, this family part and what we're doing on this family is, is that God has a plan and a purpose for every human being on this planet and that every human being on this planet is worthy of dignity and respect and that even though they do not believe like again I, I i go back to this there's only two types of people in the world there are those that are in christ and then there's everyone else regardless of whatever race you want to label them or socioeconomic status or ethnicity doesn't ultimately matter to God. There's those people in Christ, and then there are those not in Christ. And so God is still the God of all of people on the planet. And that's really important when we consider family, and when we consider friends, and then the two different types of family dynamics that we see ultimately in this. So we were made for fellowship, ultimately, we're all created in the image of God, so every human being on this planet is worthy of dignity and respect. And then there are multiple types of families. But let's get into the text today. I just want to, again, briefly touch on that. Uh, it's like the blue light special. You get two brief sermons. Yay! <laughs> so it's not like that, but it is like that at the same time. So, hey, we're just having fun, right? And so, unity of all creation under the lordship of the living God, the one and only true God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of us, again, are in that same boat, if you will. Now, some of us have gotten, you know, obviously we're... we're 100% children of God, we've been saved, we've been reconciled, we've been redeemed, we're being sanctified, eventually we'll be with Jesus in heaven where we're glorified, you know, all of these things that, that happen to us that make us that official children of God, but at the same time, everyone is still ultimately, you know, created by God. So, always praying for unity, always praying for salvation for all people just because we do have a common thread we are all created in the image of god after his likeness all of us have different gifts and abilities and talents that make us unique and so we're all different science has proven that but we're all created in the image of god and that is worthy of dignity and respect because when you blaspheme someone else you're blaspheming God because they're a human being created in the image of God. So remember that. Now, 
for this text today, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52. I don't want us to lose, and you can see in the notes, just the point. Like, this is a very simple sermon in the fact that our Father in heaven and that Jesus is the only way to our Father in heaven. Simple, right? Like, oh, we should all get this. We should all understand it. But in this sermon, and I want you to see this, just I don't want anyone to feel condemned, but I want us to see the right way, and I want us to be convicted on what God has done and what this right relationship ultimately looks like, and then how you know we've kind of missed the bar, if you will, because of our sin, because of our egocentric nature, making this all ultimately just about us, whereas this has always been about God. And when we do make it about God, ultimately, that takes all the performance pressure off of us because it's not based on our merits, it's based on God's merits. And that is grace, unmerited favor, because religion says you got to do all these things, you got to try to be good enough, but the gospel says it's done, and grace is the gift of unmerited favor, and mercy is not receiving the punishment that we deserve, which are both reasons for praising the Lord, because, man, we need a lot more grace, we need a lot more mercy in this world, and especially with a lot of different brothers and sisters in the Lord that we might not necessarily agree with for one reason or another, but we still have to respect them regardless. So, this, verse 41 to 52, reads, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so, yes, just quickly, overall, this is the last part of the birth of Jesus. Next chapter, the beginning of chapter 3, we start the preparation for Jesus' ministry. And this is roughly 17 or 18 years down the road. Just like the difference between verse uh, 40 and 41 is roughly the difference between 12 years or 11 and a half. I mean, Jesus was 35 days old when Mary went down to the ritual and, you know, the guy took her baby. And so, 
you know, big gaps, big gaps in time, and we don't know much else about, but clearly this was one of those stories that Luke had gotten from Mary or Joseph at the time to be like, whoa, like this Jesus guy, there's clearly something special about this Jesus. So who is this Jesus? Is Jesus the son of God or not, ultimately? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he actually Lord of all? And so... I broke this down too, just so you see it, but I don't want us to lose the overarching, you know, the big message, the point, if you will, as I wrote it, that Jesus, again, is the only way to our Father in heaven. And so I'm just going to take this verse by verse with you real quick, go down the line. Verse 41 and 42, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. This is a little repetitive from what we saw in the last section, uh, what we learned last week. Uh, and just in the very simple fact, and you see in the note, that Jesus fulfilled the customs and the law in righteousness on our behalf. Uh, I talked briefly about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And that ultimately we will need a righteousness that is more than the scribes and the Pharisees if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so you think about the most religious people that you know in the world today, the most pious, the most everything, and you would still need to be more righteous than those people. And so for the Jews to hear that, naturally that was shocking. But again, continuing in this pattern of, of righteousness and all of God's good works and all of God's covenants, Jesus is the only one that's been able to fulfill all of those. And praise the Lord that, you know, God put them, and obviously God knew this, put them with Mary and Joseph, who were indeed pious individuals who obeyed God's customs and his laws and tried to live a life that was holy and, and pleasing to God and one that glorified God. And so Jesus being part of that, naturally, he's never going to stumble, he's never going to fall, but he continues to fulfill all manners of righteousness on our behalf. And that's exactly the point of those first two, two sentences. Yes, we could talk more about, you know, what the specific feasts look like and how amazing it is that, that even Mary came because only the men were here. But never lose sight of what Jesus has done in all of this, that he is the one that fulfills all the law and the customs. Doesn't mean that, well, you know, like we should go away from it or, or, or live in lawlessness, but we need to rely on Jesus for that because we definitely can't measure up to God's uh, bar of righteousness, if you will, or his holiness that's so set apart from a sinner like us. And so those first two verses... Praise the Lord, because Jesus is the only way that the law and righteousness is fulfilled. Now, verse 43 to 47. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And then you hear the dun-dun-dun behind it, right? Because you know drama's about to happen. And so his parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. If you want to know that you're a sinner, you're probably, it's okay, because you're thinking something like, how could Mary and Joseph, in any stretch of the imagination, lose the baby Jesus? How could they do that? He's 12 years old. Jesus is like, you know, born the virgin birth, born all these things. 
in your judging them right now and you're condemning them right now just showing that you're you're a sinner in all of this too and that we still unfortunately uh until we're out of these quote-unquote sin suits that we're in uh we will continue to have these types of thoughts and impressions but don't lose point on that but it's just interesting because it's a natural human response to the how could you lose your kid how could you lose jesus what are you doing but it happens <laughs> and so i i think about especially uh it's, as i keep thinking about that kmart blue light special that i saw earlier this week you all did it as kids too y'all gave your parents a ton of grief in this regard you remember the clearance racks that were in a circle and then you'd go and you'd hide in the clearance racks maybe you'd peek your head out the top and hide and make your parents worry about you and all that it's cool this isn't that far of a stretch right from humanity in itself so but they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances they did not find him and then they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And then you see this after three days, they found him in the temple. Now, whether or not it's one day out, one day back, or and then one day of searching, three days total, or maybe it's one day out, one day back, three days searching for Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that, that again, there's going to be great distress, great concern for misplacing your child. Any of you parents know that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a scary time for sure. <laughs> and so, but after those three days, they found him in the temple. And the temple, very briefly, you need to know is like the center of the city. It's a very public sphere too. Sure, it's the temple for the house of worship, but it's also a meeting and a gathering place. And so it's a place for teaching. And so sitting among the teachers, he was listening to them and asking them questions. And so, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so briefly, this verse 43 to 47, this is something that us being born sinners need a savior for because to even begin to understand our heavenly fathers and and then or not fathers just father and then to value and pursue him that is something that the holy spirit needs to work on within us so jesus has that deep understanding of our father and he values pursuit of him and here's the mind blower even at age 12 he's doing this man at age 12 i was i was whining about getting a nintendo you know, I, I definitely wasn't worried about the things of God, you know, I, even adolescence, like definitely the hormones, I don't think started then, but to, to care and to see that, like, again, don't be condemned in these moments because it, you know, something that's spiritually dead needs to be awakened again. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. It reveals Christ to us and awakens us to the beginning of the understanding of our father and then to value pursuit of him too to continue to want to grow and to want to be sanctified jesus is the one who does this jesus is the one who continues to point us to him and shows us the value as well as shows us how to pursue him through prayer and meditation and study and church and 
uh, being the church. So it, it, it is an astounding little story. And, and again, amazed at his understanding and his answers. And these people had never met him before. And Jesus at 12 years old is already challenging teachers and, and scribes and, and everyone else. Um, you know, but it also shows that this is his calling and he understands his calling and where he's going with that calling. And so praise the Lord that this is the case of how this works and that there's a deep understanding of our value and our Father because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' life and his coming back. So moving on and going through this. And when his parents saw him, verse 48, they were astonished themselves. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So that word distress there at the end of that, that is great pain and anguish. And obviously when you lose your child, misplace your child, things of that nature, that ultimately there is going to be this matter of distress. Um, but it's interesting because you see the dynamic of, of self and selfless in this too. Because Mary says to him, and, and again, I don't know that this is such a, a wrong question in, in a sinful response, but why have you treated us so? How many times because of sin have we made this all about ourselves? That we can you know, be prideful and arrogant, but we've also been low and unworthy, and they both deal with pride. They're just different ends of the spectrum of pride that we make it again about ourselves. And so why have you treated us so this way? And Jesus' answer, you know, it, it, it wasn't about them. It was about the Heavenly Father, putting his Father first. And so we think about this a, a little bit. And this, first and foremost, shows the divinity of Jesus in this moment. Because the, like, the main point of this whole text is verse 49. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? So this divinity of Jesus, he's saying right there already that he is the Son of God. He's acknowledging his calling at 12 years old to see that, that he does have a different ministry. And now granted, it's a long time from now, 17, almost 18 years um, until Jesus actually starts his ministry. But he continues to grow and be sanctified. And you see that. At the end of this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But his divinity is shown here in the fact that he is legitimately saying that he's the Son of God. And then it also shows us, going back to what I was talking about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, that there are two families here. There are indeed two families because Jesus certainly isn't denying his earthly family. But he's showing us the heavenly father and the heavenly family. And so we know that a little bit more as the church these days. And think about it in, in regards to the, you know, the two great commandments, if you will. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Then love your neighbor as yourself. First and foremost always comes God. Now, here's one of those convict, condemn moments. We don't do that, right? Like, don't be condemned about this. We were born spiritually dead. Praise the Lord instead and continue to, you know, it, like just embrace this calling that we have, that we are part of God's kingdom, that we are a son and a daughter. And in this, 
we see that Jesus has this intimate personal relationship with his father and that's going to drive his identity and drive his purpose here on earth man if only everyone knew this identity and purpose like of course this is Jesus but it's also a model for us in in the sense that this is that right and real relationship that always should have existed but didn't exist because of sin and then all of us going our own way all we like sheep have been led astray each to his own way and so we see that that loving the lord your god and then your neighbor as yourself well that's all your different spheres of influence and that's certainly your immediate family your blood family it's your friends it's the place that you work maybe it's the school you go to but those are the neighbors those who are around you anytime you're talking with someone is an opportunity for ministry and they are your neighbor because we all share the planet right let us make man in our image and then there's also something really important to see in this too and especially bridging the last uh, part of chapter one as well as all of chapter two is that uh, children are a blessing from God so Mary and Joseph you, you see you see the human aspect of ownership of the children right you, you know your father and I have been searching for you in great distress and you know look at these other stories that I've told you about you know not just the virgin birth in this and, and it's even it's fascinating that she's astonished but again we have the whole canon of scripture to, to know that Jesus is the way but as as Mary keeps discovering this baby Jesus this baby born of the Holy Spirit while she was a virgin there there is something very unique and very different about him and so children are that blessing from God look at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah they wanted a baby they couldn't have a baby Elizabeth was barren God blessed them and he didn't just bless them with a baby he blessed them with a prophet and then you go back and you go to first Samuel chapter 1 and 2 and you see Hannah who was Samuel's mom who Samuel was a very well-known prophet as well and she was barren but God blessed her to have a baby okay you go back you see the story of Samson in, in Judges chapter 12 how he was raised Manoah and then his nameless wife and she was barren but God blessed them to have a baby and in this moment you see this too that ultimately while we have children they are ultimately a blessing from God all of these stories continue to point that God is indeed sovereign over life and death and so as a parent you know as a parent with children who struggle and that you worry about them I want us all to take a deep breath and know that they are God's children and that they are a blessing to us from God and so God will not let them fall if you will he will not have horrible you know experiences well okay there's there's lots of plenty of experiences but ultimately there's grace knowing that they are God's children and that God the Father who is sovereign over everything especially life and death is going to walk with these children and so if you think for a second that you ruined your children don't 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 think it don't 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 be broken by that don't be 
you know, condemned by the devil, that you're a terrible parent and a terrible human being because ultimately they are gods. We are all gods. And that was part of what I wanted to show you in chapter one of Genesis is that ultimately every human being is gods. So that makes it a lot easier to breathe and to not be so stressed but to continue to be responsible and to continue to glorify God with everything that, that we are, that we're able to, by the blessing of the Holy Spirit, by faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has this intimate personal relationship with his Father that drives his identity and purpose here on earth. And praise the Lord for that, because we're not the best at that. We take ownership, we take failure, we, you know, crush ourselves with legalism and law, or we're all willy-nilly in the form of lawlessness. But God has been working in this, continues to work in this, and they did not understand what was spoken to him. But ultimately, you need to understand that Jesus, in this way and in this capacity, like, we all need this identity and purpose in God that Jesus has. And we need to see that and we need to embrace it because when we continue to go down avenues in our life, uh, chasing the things of the world, because I swear many of us are really, really, really in love with the world still. And I'm a little like, I don't know how you can be in love with the world right now, but this and all of this, that God is in control and that our identity and purpose is tied into what God says our identity and purpose is much more than all the dead-end avenues that we might try to make our life out of so praise the Lord for that and again praise the Lord for Jesus for showing us that way in a sense and then bringing this all home as he went down with them and came to Nazareth he was submissive to them and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man and again, this shows Jesus' humanity in the same sense as the last verses showed Jesus' divinity as he is fully God and fully man. But Jesus is obedient. And as we know down the road, he's even obedient to the point of death on a cross. And it is within that context of that, that obedience and that death on a cross that we are absolutely need a savior because we are not obedient to god's ways we're not even really obedient to the world's ways as we as we see a lot of time if we ever unfortunately watch the news and all public uh, you know events or whatnot and, and it and it's disheartening for sure and i'm really sad for the sin and the brokenness of the world but we all have this you know sharing the same father sharing the same love um just for humanity but our purposes are different and our identities are wrapped up in earthly things and our purposes are wrapped up in earthly things but praise be to god that by the blessing of the holy spirit we can grow out of these earthly things and realize the spiritual reality of who we are there's a term that i just recently learned that i've been kind of spreading around it's called quorum deal and it's obviously Latin, but it, what it means is in the presence of. 
And this is something that certainly would be an, an, an excellent challenge. But anytime I throw something out there as a challenge, then it comes off as legalism. And then the natural sinful response is to be like, I ain't doing that. Who are you to tell me what to do? You know, so, but it, it means in the presence of, and, and it was something that certainly the reformers were all about at the time, but it's living life in such a way that we're constantly in the presence of knowing that we walk with the Lord, that we are under the authority of knowing that God is sovereign over everything in our lives, you know, uh, us, our children, you know, you think about Judgment Day, each of us are going to have our own individual Judgment Day, even though we've, you know, got family, we've got friends, things like that. It is ultimately always just you and God first and foremost individually. And then there's that neighbor as yourself, then it's the family, the friends, the work ethic, things like that. But this, um, I lost track a little bit there, sorry, but... Um, the, the humanity of Jesus, our Father in heaven, where we're going with this. Like, praise the Lord for where he's going in, in our lives, just to go back to the humanity of it so that we don't lose sight of who we are and, and that we can begin to embrace and grasp the, the, the spiritual realm. This quorum deal of, you know, living in the presence of God, under the authority of God, for ultimately the glory of God, which again is why we're here, which is why the, the world is here, is for his glory, but it's because of his great love and his need to share and to be part of, you know, something bigger that even the world's created in and of itself and all of life that's on it to bring him glory. So to the quorum deal, to live in the presence of God at all moments under the authority of God, understanding his sovereign rule and all for the glory of God. And it's within those that I would hope that, you know, all people could find some semblance of unity in their lives, as well as to hope that salvation happens for so many more people that I know just that they can learn to see the spiritual reality. Because I think a lot of times, and especially, which is why I say the quorum deal, we separate our spiritual life from our physical life. And then we put our physical life as way more important, way more exciting than this spiritual life. But you know what? This physical life, it's going to go away. It's, it's eventually going to disappear. The world is going to go away. This is only temporary. But your spiritual life now, this is forever okay forever and if you don't ever get that opportunity to grow in spiritual life well then this the physical life is the only life for you and we're going away everyone has an eternal destiny that we see on this planet because god is eternal so this salvation needs to go out this good news and the certainty of the good news needs to go out just like the certainty of Jesus is the only way to the Father, because he's the only one that could fulfill the customs and the law and righteousness on our behalf. He's the only one who has a deep understanding of our Father and actually values pursuit of him, especially even just at age 12. Jesus is the only one who has that personal, intimate relationship with his Father that drives his ultimate you know, identity and purpose for being on earth. And then Jesus is the only one that is fully obedient, being fully God and fully man, 
to God's will and God's way, even to dying on a cross on behalf of sinners. And so who is this Jesus? And who do you think, or what do you think of Jesus' authority? And will you respond to or reject his claims? Is Jesus a liar? Is he lying about all this? Is he a lunatic that performs miracles somehow? Or is he genuinely the Lord? But ultimately, is Jesus the Son of God or is he not? That's what you have to reconcile because Jesus indeed is a historical character. You know, we have the Gospels, we have the Word, but there's also historians that have, you know, made mention of this Christ and these Christians. Think about Josephus and um, you know, all the other names are, are escaping me at the moment, but there's many other historians that you know continue to talk about and discuss this Jesus. So is he ultimately the Son of God or not? Are you here ultimately because God is real or is it about earthly things? I hope and I hope and I hope that you have certainty of the good news that Jesus brings as well as a new understanding and willingness to worship our God, our Father in heaven. A willingness, because you don't see that willingness. We see so much emphasis on these earthly things, but it's not the real reality. And you cannot separate spiritual from physical, even though we do that, because we don't understand the spiritual in the slightest. We never have until we are quite literally born again by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And when you're born again, you start off as an infant. You don't understand those ways. You got to continue to grow in those ways. And so that spiritual eternal reality is the reality that permeates and transcends your physical reality. It gives meaning and purpose behind the mundane and the pointless, if you will, because God is a God of people and God is a God of love and that is why the world exists that's why we're here that's why God sent his son to save us because he loves us so much and we being sinners that are hostile to God needed to be reconciled back to God and it is only through what you see Jesus doing and fulfilling the law and the righteousness Jesus valuing pursuit of God, Jesus having this relationship with his Father that drives his identity, and Jesus being obedient to the will of God, even to the point of death. And so, is Jesus the Son of God or not? Our Father in heaven, and Jesus is the only way to our Father, is where I wanted us to be today. And so I hope this has been encouraging for you. It's been an encouraging week for me. Very simple, but very complex sermon too, just the same. And man, I love Jesus. So dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for, again, just what you're doing in the lives of us as individuals, as well as us in the church, as well as what you're doing in the world. Lord, I see you continue to work in hearts. I see you continue to work in minds of human beings all around me. I hope that you continue to bless them with your grace and your mercy and the Holy Spirit to reveal to them that Jesus is your son, Lord, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for everybody. I, I praise you and we praise you that we have this calling, but Lord, we also ask you to continue to work in those all around us. 
Let us be that salt and that light. Let us continue to reach the lost in every opportunity that we can, that we may experience the same joy that we had many, many years ago as we continue to mature, that newness, that excitement of life, the excitement that reality isn't just this earthly temporary thing, but it is the spiritual eternal reality and who you are. And Lord, it is truly a blessing to know you to love you and to serve you and we give you all the praise and thanksgiving amen all right praise the lord i hope this has been a good sermon for you it's been a great one for me i love jesus and i hope you do too so continue the good fight continue well okay not not fight continue the good walk with the lord and just continue to you know build one another up in the unity of the faith like we're all here for a limited amount of time till we get to rejoice with Jesus in heaven so let us rejoice now while we're on earth and lord let your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so thank you lord jesus we'll see you soon bye